0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Low Level Hell Podcast, I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us on our inaugural episode, I guess we could call it a a pilot episode, is that Oh, is that the the proper
1: term, Kelly? Sure. Yeah. First out the door. Anything with pilot in it, I approve.
0: Okay. Well, good. That's got seal of approval. Uh, So we do have a a sound guy, Kelly, with us. I'm going to call you Sound Guy. I think that's. (laughs) Sound (laughs) Guy. That's a demeaning title. That's very demeaning. (laughs) All right. How about um, uh, we'll call you Podcast Consigliary? There you go. (laughs) That's a lot lot more. That's empowering. I want to be the Um, grip. (laughs) There you go. Key grip. That would be the key key grip. grip. Not just the grip, but the key grip. Uh, All right. Also uh, joining us from the land down under. Good morning, Mr. Thread. Justin, how are you?
2: Good morning. Good evening, all. Great. Um, Yes, morning time here. And uh, excited to do this first podcast with you guys. Should be good. I know. Glad to have you. Got the kids off to school okay? Kids are at school. Wife is at work. My only commitment today is to uh, sleep before night shift. Oh. Uh, it must be uh,
0: fantastic to have your kids actually go to school. Because mine have been in virtual school forever at this point. It's getting a little old.
2: Yeah, uh, I can imagine. I did three months of homeschooling, and I'm not a school teacher.
0: Yeah, no, we we did homeschool last year, <laughs> and I discovered that I too am not a homeschool teacher. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and then uh, last and certainly not least, uh, my biggest fan, parent How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good. good. Greetings from
1: L.A. <laughs> that's, uh, you're not even going to rise to my bait. <laughs> I am your greatest fan. And that, that's, that's Lower Alabama for the uninitiated.
0: That is. Oh, yes. I haven't heard that one in a while. That's right. Lower Alabama. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, welcome all. I appreciate it. And for all of you listening, uh, in case you're kind of wondering what this is about, who we are. So, uh, Barrett and I are uh, qualified, but certainly not current, OH-58 Delta Kiowa Pilots, the the Kiowa Warrior, which which you actually helped take to the boneyard, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, my last my last KW flight was dropping him off at in Arizona, <laughs> in the boneyard. Traitor. Yep. Traitor to the cause, uh, but also uh, qualified
0: age 64 pilots. Sorry, I can't remember. Are you uh just a Delta guy? Did you do the
1: Echo as well? I'm just a Delta. Yep. And just a uh, Delta. Yeah. nowhere nowhere near the time. Uh, it's certainly even less than you, because I, I uh, really didn't get an opportunity to go operational in, in Apaches, but yeah, quite a bit of time in the KW. Yeah, yeah, just just a few hours more than me, I think. It's all relative. But, <laughs>
0: that's right. That's right. Quantity versus quality. Uh, and then, uh, Kelly, you, you do
3: some flying, right? Yeah, I do uh, general aviation flying, so I'm not a military pilot. Um, I do associate with the military um, as a senior agency right. official inside the Department of Defense, but... Yeah, I own an aircraft, I own a Mooney, and uh, two ELSAs, which are um, experimental light sport aircrafts um, that uh, try to kill me every once in a while, but uh, obviously that hasn't happened yet. Right. Um, so I got my license back in 08, and um, got about a thousand hours uh, sitting in the Mooney right now. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what, because uh, I you know, I do not know my, my general aviation planes that well, but I, I was curious, I, I know you have your tailwheel, but you obviously then have your complex
3: endorsement as well. So, yeah, I have a tailwheel and a complex uh, endorsement as well uh, for the Mooney. So, oh. yeah, I, I kind of grew up always wanting to be a military pilot, uh, but, you know, took a different path. Hey, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I didn't want a lifelong dream to really pass me by, so I went out and bought a plane and then uh, learned how to fly it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and normally it goes the other way, but but that's fine.
3: Yeah, typically. Uh, yeah, so I bought it, and uh, they delivered it to the airport, and the guy... Sign a couple of paperwork, of course, and the guy tosses me the keys, and I go uh, walking down to the other side of the tarmac where the FBO is, and I walk in there, and the guy says, can I help you? And I said, "Uh, yeah, I just um, bought that plane over there, and I just need to know how to fly it. And he's (laughs) like, well, we don't normally train people in Moonies, and I said, well, you know, I've been uh, flying Microsoft Flight Simulator for like 10 years, I'm pretty sure I can handle it. And
0: (laughs) Oh, shots fired.
3: Totally totally
0: the same thing. (laughs) No, but it does, I mean, you know, to, to some extent it does translate. I remember flying Microsoft Flight Simulator, I don't remember which version, when I was in flight school, and it, it was great for uh, uh, procedures and, and, you know, helping oh, yeah. understand instrument flying, traffic oh, patterns, yeah. all that stuff, so.
3: I uh, saved a ton of money, uh, some, uh, you know, a ton of money just looking at Microsoft Flight Simulator instead of the, and sitting there, uh, you know, trying to figure it all out in the airplane, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, no,
2: that's true, that's that's absolutely true. Um, okay, and then, Justin, do you do, you do any flying? I have done a little bit. I've done some uh, done one aerobatics flight that I got for a birthday. A friend of mine is uh, a fixed-wing instructor, but also a helicopter pilot for EMS. So over the years, I've done a little bit of here, take the controls. Um, I did do some Army Reserve many many moons ago, so I think I've got two Black Hawk flights to my credit, and um, most of my flying is uh, going on holidays. Um, often, <laughs> <laughs> I've often thought about sort of pursuing a, a, a GA ticket, but... Um, Oh, look, it, it's it's the the cost and things like that. And I derive so much enjoyment from DCS and, and aspects of it that uh, I don't want to turn something that I enjoy into a lot of hard work for studying and and stuff yeah. like that when I've got a job which requires a lot of study. So, yeah, yeah so I was going to say, a, you've got a
0: pretty busy job.
2: Yeah, with, with lots of requirements to, to stay current. Um, uh, and for the listeners, I'm uh, fairly high up in EMS as a paramedic here in... Australia. So a lot of people come to me with questions and i got to know the answers or at least know where to find them.
0: Yeah. And, and that's a reality of, of really any flying job is is the knowledge base. And and I'll tell you, in my current job, I can actually walk right over to the aviation unit and say, hey, get me on your flight schedule because we've got something worked out. But I, I, when I balance that against all the other requirements that come with that, it's, it's then a time factor of, okay, is it is it cost-effective for me to spend the next, you know, days and days and days studying to do one or two hours every month, you know? Um, but so there's there is a cost to that, and and then particularly in the general aviation side, I mean, it's there's also a monetary cost. That's it's pretty. Exp- I imagine it's prohibitively expensive down in Australia.
2: Uh, I think um, fixed wing is not too bad. Usually, sort of a couple of hundred dollars per hour and and things like that. And I, I think once you factor in exchange rates, it's, it's probably comparable. But certainly, when I've looked at rotary oh. wing. I've just gone, uh, no, not for me. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. super expensive. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, okay. yeah. and so what I tell tell uh, prospective, I'm at the flight school down here at Fort Rucker, and we do the in-briefs for the brand-new students coming in. What I tell each and every one of them when we do the en masse in-briefs is, hey, look, we can teach a monkey to fly. We've been doing that for 60-plus years. Um, once you overcome that initial five hours, it ain't that hard, but it's the knowledge that yeah, really is going to take up ninety percent of your time for the next fifteen months. Um, flying, stick wiggling, yeah. We, like I said, we can teach a, a monkey to do that, but uh, you'd be surprised at how much uh, studying is involved with becoming a military pilot.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, and you, and you got to stay with it, and that's
0: especially these days. It seems like the technology moves at such a pace that you know. I remember finishing flight school and you know studying, but nothing was really changing. And then it seemed like the last few years, everything just ramps up, especially in the Apache world. It was like, as soon as you learned this new block or this new software version, the next one was showing up, you know, and, and, and it was just enough to be different to screw you up. Um, so,
1: And yeah. that's what we're telling the kids nowadays is the systems are fundamentally different. We are requiring more of a new pilot yeah. today than we did 30 years ago. They have to know. The aircraft are so phenomenally complex there is almost no relation to the huey of your right you know. yeah but
3: are you are you finding though the students that are coming into the class now you know being like a, a younger generation and coming on board already knowing all these games and their hand-eye coordination movements and technology a lot better are you finding that easier for them to adapt to um you know the two technology are they are, you know what i'm saying are, do they have a yeah, better yeah, hand eye coordination what
1: you're saying. um there's there's some correlation. Uh just being able to so to teach a new guy a glass cockpit is easier than than to transition somebody that grew up on steam gauges yeah, to yeah. transition to a For glass sure. cockpit. Um but it's all the so you, you coming from the military side of things, you know how nothing is seamlessly integrated. The the real hard part <laughs> is trying to make all the different uh disparate systems in any military aircraft seamlessly work which none of them seem to be designed to do um yeah. with with man. few exceptions so that's really yeah there's so many step upgrades and and we're getting into man on man teaming now and we're expecting a poor pilot to quote unquote be the quarterback of the battlefield which is a lot to ask of a guy you know a 26 27 year old guy that has 3 4 500 hours under their belt to understand the battlefield. Anyway, I'm ge- I'm getting a little ahead of things, but <laughs> it's it's a different beast nowadays, but the correlation from the Xbox controller to a modern cockpit is a valid correlation and works. Ex- the Air Force and the Army is exploring ways to bring VR into the flight training equation. Um, that's a that's a prototype program we have going right now hmm. and there is a strong correlation between getting some VR time ahead uh, ahead of time, and just like you mentioned, Casmo, um, knowing what gauges to look at and where your eyes should be looking at a certain point in time. Yeah. So when they actually do get in an aircraft, it's it's more of a seamless, the muscle memory is already established, right. so to speak.
3: So just pick up the X- Xbox controller that you got installed in there. Yeah, no? yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe we should just get those wired
2: in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go straight to ARMA yeah (laughs) god it's got the best flight model and just to interject that's kind of a universal problem across industry certainly in in my industry it's got a sort of a a background in a a trade-based mentality where it was rote learning things were distinctly black and white for, for ease but as we transition to sort of university education with integration of of technologies it's uh that kind of rote learning style has fallen away all apart from what you guys would equate to sort of bold face emergency procedures, which you must memorize, but moving towards conceptualization and understanding concepts that you can apply to multiple situations, just not the black and white example in the hmm. textbook.
3: Interesting. Yeah.
2: I think
0: there's
1: a lot of carry over there.
0: Yeah, totally. All right. Well, I think that's good uh, as far as, you know, kind of laying the groundwork of, of who we are and, and, and really the genesis of all this, uh, you know, the low level hell, community that that has grown up here in the past gosh it's only it's only been like four months i think we're just under 600 people and uh and i know Baron, you and i have kind of nurtured this concept of having a a sort of quasi podcast for a while we've done a few things on youtube and, and so now we're just kind of pulling the trigger on this so so for all you listening you know that's that's kind of the genesis of of what this is and where we are at and you know really the sense of building community not just within the gaming community, that's kind of a small part of it, but, but the broader aviation community. And I don't know about you guys, but I've always found that the aviation community in general is is a very interesting animal. I, I don't know if you guys have ever been around boats and boating people, but it was kind of the same thing. You know, If you've ever been to a, a marina, you know, your parents or, or maybe even you had, had a boat and say to the marina it's always a, a kind of, I don't know, boat community mentality. It always kind of felt the same for me in, in aviation.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure in the military side of things, but also in the general aviation side, you know, that's there's a there's a sense of camaraderie yeah. there that you just I mean, I parked my Mooney next to a five million dollar jet. We get there at the same time. The guy gets out and he comes over, talks about the Mooney. We shake hands. We go to lunch together. I mean, this guy's <laughs> multi multimillionaire owns his own Mustang, you know, so um, yeah. it's super interesting. And he didn't care if I was rich, poor, indifferent, nothing. Uh, he just right. he knew I was a pilot and he was a pilot and that's a good time. That's all he needed.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a kind of an equalizer. So, uh, and, and of course, our you know our, our sort of core audience at this point is is the gaming community. And, and, I, and I'll tell you right now, it is fascinating, uh, particularly for guys our age, um, to to see the technology that exists for the flight simulation community. And I think we all grew up playing. You know, some sort of polygon, you know, flying through <laughs> pure blue skies with pure green ground and shooting at blocks with other polygons. And You know, now, I mean, can you imagine if you could take a snapshot of, of DCS or IL-2 or Microsoft Flight Simulator and go back to the kid version of you and yep. show them a picture and say, this, this is your future? I mean, it would be mind-blowing.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad I'm alive to to experience this.
0: Oh yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, it's fascinating, and of course, you guys are all VR Nazis. I don't, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't have VR, so I can I can only imagine how wonderful it is for you. Uh, I know, I know. Kelly sticks his hand up to block the sun when we play Flying yeah. Circus, but uh, uh, but it's yeah, it's fascinating time, <laughs> and it does I think translate in a lot of ways. You know, I, I don't think if you're good at a simulator that you're necessarily a good pilot, but I think it certainly helps. Uh, I think there's a lot of translational skill. Um, but anyway, if you're interested in checking out this community that we're talking about, we'll go ahead and put a link down below. If you're a gamer, I'm sure you know what Discord is, so we'll have that link available for you. Come on and join us. And, you know, and it doesn't have to be gaming. We've got some sections that talk about just general aviation. We've got guys that are you know trying to be pilots. And, and what's fascinating to me, Baron, is the type of people that we have in that community. You know, we have gazelle pilots. We have, hell, there's an MA, MI-8 pilot in there. You know, we've got guys in Argentina. There, there's all kinds of experience in there. And, and some of these guys, I really want to get on the show later and, and kind of talk about these things. But it, the point is, there's there's a guy that can probably answer your question if it has to do with particularly helicopter flying, but, but really flying in general.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I think uh, low-level hell has become the uh, leper colony of all the rotorheads within the DCS, <laughs> <laughs> the DCS wider world, yeah. right? So we're, you're attracting a lot of
0: rotor wing enthusiasts. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been a wild ride and I'm, I'm stunned when I look to see how many people are in there and, and and the conversations that go on. So, well, at any rate, so we will kind of scratch that video game itch and then we'll move into our, our, our main topic, which uh, is pretty timely when you do compare it to, to DCS and some of the things coming out. But but we'll talk about DCS, so just kind of updates in general, just kind of some quick wave tops. So, Justin, what do you got for
2: us as far as DCS? What's new? Uh, look, I think if we look at this year, it's been a bit of a started off rocky, I think, with DCS. But I think they, they've hit the nail on the head with their patching shed, schedule now. And I think have kicked some goals and generally delivered us some pretty good builds. I know there's a few little teething issues there. I believe Syria Map seems like it's got a memory leak, so, but no ETA ever a fix for that. So, so those of us uh, such as us here at Low Level Hell experiencing memory leaks when we run servers and the odd performance issue. And there's been a number of sort of hot fixes the last couple of weeks, but uh, overall DCS I think is in a pretty good place, especially uh, compared to the start of the year, the, the end of last year. Certainly VR performance could be improved, but there's sort of promised improvements in in that space, Bird, I think we've been looking at, at a pretty good end of the year. We've just seen the A10-2 release with a, a whole swag of new systems, which have really added to the core game. And, and now, with what the A10 Autog 2 has, it's certainly got the Viper and Hornet pilots crying as, I want my Jehamex yeah. helmet-mounted sight to uh, to do that. But uh, no can do, buddies. I, I tell
0: you, that, that is a, a great upgrade. And, I mean, even for $20, I think is what it's going to go up to when it's the...
2: the off sale it's worth it alone for that site that's amazing i could not agree more it's uh when they said substantial discount i honestly didn't expect it to be ten dollars no i didn't either (laughs) my 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 due i think for the amount of time i've spent in the a10 over 10 years for the original i can't remember what i paid for it maybe 50 dollars. i've got my money's worth yeah so it's, it's, it's definitely looking a little bit dated there towards the end but uh now we've got some good toys and uh Hopefully same for the uh, Black Shark 3 next year. But then uh, while we're all here, the uh, the Kiowa Warrior at some stage as well. So uh, we're all sort of eagerly looking at that space to see how that thing progresses.
0: Yeah, no, the KW is going to be a good time.
2: And then, of course, yeah, like you mentioned, the Syria uh,
0: map leak, which, you know, I, again, I'm the, I'm the idiot when it comes to computer stuff. You guys are smarter than me. A memory leak, which I think Kelly described is not actually a leak, but a, a great term for it. But that's not gonna affect people just playing at home. That that really is primarily if you're hosting a server and it's on for a long time, is that right?
3: Yeah, essentially, he's right. I mean, if you're playing the, if you got the Syria map okay. and you're running your own mission at home, uh, you know, playing solo, you'll you'll never experience it. But uh, when you get into serious mission building, like. You know, like Justin does, and uh, running a server on that side, um, it could become a problem. And what it eventually does is eats up enough memory until just the, you know, it has no more RAM to use. You could have, you know, you could have 100, 128 gig of RAM in there, and eventually it will eat up all of that and then it'll crash your server. So um, ours, uh, you know, uh, the low level health servers don't seem to be um, expanding beyond, you know, 10, 11, tw- uh, 12 gig. Um, so it's not a serious, serious leak uh, of memory, but it is is—it is something to be concerned with when other maps are running at 6 gigs, say, on RAM.
2: Yeah, and, and if we could capture some metrics on it, I, I really don't know what it is. It, it could simply be the amount of sort of dead units just stacking up, and maybe it might actually cap at a level, but we've just never let it run long enough to see where it, it peaks out, but uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it.
0: All right, uh, and then, you know, the other kind of kind of big beast of, of simulation il2 uh, I don't know if anybody's taking a look at what's going on new over there
3: yeah you know they came out with that patch uh, just recently I believe it came out in um, it was like the 25th of last month or maybe it was a little before that it was their new 4.5. So it's kind of a significant upgrade. Uh, so they even, you know, they renamed it. It used to be like the ones or whatever. And, and they went to a whole different signature of, uh, the, you know, 4.5. <laughs> so it must be big, but, um, you know, one thing that, yeah, it was big numbers on the board. Yeah, that's right. One thing was it was supposed to, um, uh, you know, really relieve or help is the, uh, you know, the, uh, long visual range of picking up targets. Um, now, right. personally, I fly VR in IL two, and it it is phenomenal. It's it's so much fun. It's phenomenal in, in at least in flying circus. Um, in fact, I've made myself airsick. You know, and I'm a pilot, so that's saying something. It's 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 such an experience. <laughs> I highly recommend it. But um, we, you know, VRs have uh, flying in VR. You have a harder time. Uh, seeing those long, far-out targets. And so um, the increase has helped a little bit, and, but I don't know about flat screeners if it's helped uh, you guys out or not.
0: I don't uh, know, is the short answer. I, I have not noticed. But what I have noticed is in our games since that patch came out, I am not the guy picking out the enemy.
3: Well, uh, what what enemy? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, our last one was a little boring.
0: But, uh, but, but no, but seriously, it, it was almost exclusively me. Yeah. Absolutely. Finding aircraft, because I think I was the only guy, uh, uh, as I saw somebody call it Pancake today, VR or Pancake yeah. is how they described it. Um, and I'm a proud Pancake owner. But uh, but yeah, but I have noticed that you guys are actually picking stuff out before I am or, or at least seen it at the same time. So it's definitely a needed improvement because somebody had described IL-2 as a, the pixel finder game or, or something like that. Yeah. But, um, well,
3: I'm ne- I, honestly, I- I'm never looking because I'm I'm usually flying like in their number two or number three slot, and I'm so concentrated on just flying formation. I'm uh, hoping somebody else picks out the yeah. targets because, uh, you know, flying a what? flying a uh, you know the, the biplane is pretty interesting in itself.
0: Yeah, well, and that's usually why I take off in the number two position and end up in the number six, because I'm spending so much time looking around, and (laughs) I'm exactly right. I'm terrified because I can hear you or somebody next to me, and I'm like, oh, my God, and I just descend, and I turn away, and next thing I know, you guys are leaving me behind.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, I'm still rocking the Riff Gen 1, and uh, everything just looks like a potato anyway. (laughs) Well, wait for the G2.
3: Reverb G2 is going to come out, and that's going to be phenomenal.
1: (laughs) Yes. Cool. with significant financial investment in the other right. components of my computer
3: <laughs> still cheap, still cheaper than a real airplane <laughs> yeah <true. laughs>
0: well if, if if that's our litmus test of measuring yeah, you're right you're not wrong <laughs> just saying just uh, saying
3: yeah. Hour yeah. Per, i'm just thinking hour by yeah, hour
0: yeah do, do any of you guys play Microsoft Flight Simulator the new one
3: i have it um okay um, i have um it's it's interesting now that... They don't have VR in that. So I'm sure, you know, Justin is probably just like me and like, you know what? I'm going to play it a lot more once they have VR. Um, It is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the. Like I, I was flying over my uh, my community here, and it's you know I could see everything was mapped perfectly. You can actually see the cars from the GPS or from uh, the Google Maps uh, kind of still right. visible on the roadway. So um, if you're into that game and you want to fly precision flight, like kind of know where you are and get that same feeling of kind of right. where you are in spatial. Um, orientation when you're you know flying at your home airport that will give it to you. Um, you you got to have a massive computer you know to make it run smooth, but it, it is a really good game. I'm just looking forward to VR. Justin, what were you going to say?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, no, I only had the uh, the beta of it. I sort of haven't bothered with anything until uh, VR and maybe some helicopters or uh, appealing aircraft to me. I'm not sort of much for the just for the GA stuff, but maybe some sort of unique stuff like the the crop dusters and the the bush pilot planes that. Which I think there is one in there, sort of stuff like that, and flying it, flying in far off places.
3: Yeah, I think they've cut back on their models, so they, they you know, I don't, they don't have like some of the cool planes like the Mooney anymore in there. But um, you know, they, uh, the the menu of getting to such and setting that setting through their menus of of getting into the game has changed, and I personally don't like it, but maybe it'll grow on me. Um, but it is a little more difficult. It's you know, like if you look at uh, DCS and how you get into a game there. It's a very easy dashboard, you know, you click and go almost, and Microsoft Flight Simulator is not that easy, so uh, it can be pretty complicated just to get into a plane. But um, And then your control setup is a whole other issue that you know one day we'll cover. But All right, so when we talk
0: about the low-level health community, another thing that we really need to talk about is the server. So uh, DCS uh, servers, you know, there, there's a ton of them out there, multiplayer servers that most people can just jump on and get in and just start flying around. We've done something a little bit different. We've created the low-level health server, and we actually have two running. Um, I think we have one in Syria at the moment and one,
2: the other one's in the Persian Gulf. Is that right, Justin? Yeah, that's right. And it's a good little point to sort of segue into what the servers are about and how they've become that way and and what we sort of hope to do for the future. Uh, For those that haven't chatted to me on Discord, basically I'm here as the the, the mission maker guy, sometimes a voice of reason, but um, the servers have kind of evolved Organically, was just trying to explore the, the roles of helicopters in DCS that probably haven't had the opportunity and voice in other multiplayer servers where we've tried to go for a strong primary rotary wing focus and, here. And certainly with the guidance of, uh, of you two gents um, with regards to input and the more technical and sort of real-world aspects of it is, is kind of what we're we're shooting for there. We can't do everything because of the limitations of DCS, but it seems we're getting pretty well in the ballpark. It seems like a lot of the feedback we're getting is, oh, this server is quite refreshing, it's good to see helicopters used and explored in roles which we haven't really been able to do in other servers because we're too busy dodging air-to-air threats. So we've kind of explored the uh, the counterinsurgency sort of role of it, and now more of the uh, direct or deliberate attack role of helicopters in warfare and i think by and large some of the limitations of dcs aside in the mission editor uh we're getting there as far as the technical stuff goes um if people are interested it's fairly heavily moose scripted and other than that just a bit of mission editor stuff it's still definitely a work in progress i find i learn a lot of things as i go and then re-implement that for next iterations but um it seems to be going pretty well if you chaps got anything to say
0: yeah, no, I, th- I think the server is, is a breath of fresh air. Um, and, and it's funny because I was talking to somebody about it not too long ago. I cannot remember when we even started
1: the, the, the server. So um, I'll chime in on that once you're done talking. Yeah, go
0: ahead. Yeah, <laughs> go, no, go ahead.
1: So, yeah, it was, I think it was literally the week you kicked this thing off and Thread PM'd me and started asking questions and i said well hey i'm running because at that time it was running off my box in my attic and <laughs> uh yeah he sent me the mission and and that that was the that was the inception of it and then he just did it i mean there there yeah. wouldn't be you know what low level hell is now wouldn't be without his yeah enthusiastic contribution to um, building these missions um, it started I think I think Justin it was just a few days after you know it was probably less than 50 people on the server and you were one of the first yeah. ones and you PM would me and said, hey, what would this, you know, what would a coin scenario look like? And that's how you created your first mission with the Convoy Security. And then I started trying to convince you and steer you towards, well, maybe we need some more high-intensity level threat systems because <laughs> that's what I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You certainly did.
0: Yeah, we've already done the coin stuff. We're, we're ready to do yeah. something harder uh, where we won't actually be, you know, obliterated. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I – I think I, I agree with you, Justin. The, the feedback, um, and, and for those listening who are not involved, if you are a DCS player and you're looking to do something that is, you know, right now primarily player versus environment, but but really with a view towards teamwork. Uh, and I'm even looking right now. I think there's there's four or five guys on there playing because it's because it's Thursday and it's fight night, um, which is something we do in the community. You know, just kind of a, a personal commitment that hey, it's Thursday night, carve out some time of your schedule get on the server and play. And if enough people do that, then enough teamwork starts to happen. So it's never really a full server. You know, there's never really, I think the most I've seen on there probably around 12 or 13 people, uh, which was a good time. But but uh, it, it's great for teamwork and everyone's kind of working together and, and working towards a common goal. Um, but they are really well thought out uh, scenarios are nothing just outlandish and there isn't a whole lot of just you know wild bill cowboy type stuff going on but p- people trying to do things the right way and and we do sort of control access you know it is not uh, certainly not a pay-to-play um, but it, it is not open to the public and all we really ask is that you're part of the community and and really that enables us to control uh, the, the behavior, in, in a sense. So so if somebody does come on there, and they do have bad behavior, and it becomes disruptive, well, th- then we have a function to to kind of remove that bad behavior from... And so from far, that's dis- not happened. No. And it hasn't happened at all. It's been right, remarkable. So. And, and again, go back to what I said earlier, you know, it's like five hundred and sixty, five hundred seventy members of the Discord, and of course, not all those are active people, but uh, yeah, very little disruption and, and on the server, none. I mean, it has always been a great time whenever I log on. I'm, I'm disappointed that more people aren't on there, but, um, but I yeah, think but that's going to change.
3: Yeah. Don't forget that, uh, people can come in and actually fly with actual helicopter pilots, actual military helicopter pilots, right? There's a ton of pilots that are part of oh, yeah. this discord and low level hell. And the chances of you flying with a real pilot is pretty damn good um and so that's a lot different than a lot of the other servers you'll get into it's like you're playing with some 15 year old who's trying to shoot you down you know it's like hey we're on the same team dude
0: <laughs> and he probably is shooting you down yeah, he's absolutely, probably better at on it purpose yeah. and he's definitely better than me yeah, and yeah
1: and take that with a grain of salt y'all i mean most helicopter pilots are you know oh, yeah. borderline retards that can barely function <laughs> in life so
0: um. If we were smart, we'd be jet pilots. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, no, but you know, and you bring that up and I, and I know the, the, the tone in which you mean by, you know, fly with actual pilots. Um, it's, uh, it's enjoyable because we don't take ourselves too seriously because it's just for fun. Right. And, and I do remember, I think last fight night I was on and, uh, H bear was on who is a, you know, a former Australian, uh, pilot. Uh, I mean, he still flies, but he was in the military, uh, we had another guy, uh, Blue was on, and he's a, a former infantryman. So we, it, it was the three of us, and so he had just pure military. And you know, we weren't taking ourselves too seriously. We were having a good time, but we were, you know, efficient. So, so yeah, I think it's a great environment that that uh, Justin has created through his mission, and that you know that we have sort of facilitated through planning. And it's only getting bigger. And and Justin, that is one thing that you and I you know, we've talked about doing, I think we really need to do is, is, is once we get this thing tightened up, which I think we're at a, you know, I'd say a 90% solution, if I had to guess, um, is really film something and put it out on YouTube and just as, a, as an introduction slash primer for the server. And I think that I think that once people see that and recognize what that server is and how it is different from every other one that I've ever played on, uh, I, I think people will flock to it and flock to the community, which is just going to make it grow. And and the best part, of course, is that all the cockpits are already hot.
2: Oh,
1: yes. Like that yes, uh, that, is my, <laughs> that <laughs> is my most important and key consideration in uh, doing anything. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah, can,
2: well, well and truly. Sorry, people, this is not Engine Start Simulator. If enough people request, I'll put a few cold starts in there, but yeah. Uh, we hot starts. Let me yeah, tell you, I, if
1: in real life I could have had a Woge at my disposal to sit in a <laughs> cockpit and run it up for me, so that I could just walk out and hop in, with everything going already, I would have done that. Absolutely. <laughs> and where I said before, I think I called this a, a leper con, a leper colony for uh, rotary wing guys in a DCS fixed wing world. Maybe if yeah. you consider, if you consider yourself a misfit toy, in the. uh dcs fixed wing world this is the island of misfit toys for rotary wing guys
2: i, I didn't even know i was there a dcs rotary wing guy until i started exploring the uh the role of the helicopter in, in the sort of the, the battlefield the dcs allows you to portray and certainly what i've seen in my travels is um a lot of people that are fairly ardent fixed wing guys come across yeah. and say they're really enjoying this so uh, i think uh if i keep plugging away and you guys keep providing a bit of guidance i think think we'll keep providing something that's unique for all the players no we're, we're converting people all the time that's great
1: yeah well you, you know why that is though like i've i've had the opportunity i'll put that in air quotes and leave it at that to uh, interact with some uh navy and air force fixed wing guys and uh they always left an unpleasant bitter and salty taste so i'm opening myself up to this could be construed <laughs> the wrong way, but a salty taste in my mouth. Um, it's just because we're guys. <laughs> yeah, just go ahead and edit that part out. Um, no, it's staying. No, it's staying. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just because we're cooler. We're cooler. Well, you
0: know, it's funny. I, I was listening to that interview with the A ten guy, and he was saying essentially the same thing. He was like, "We we don't fit in with our own community uh, of the, the broader Air Force because because of personalities," and he kind of left it at that. But no, it is a different community, and, and I've had, you know, I've had experiences with with the fixed-wing guys, too, and, and, you know, it's like anything else. There are, there are dudes that are awesome, there are dudes that you wouldn't piss on them if they are on fire, so every community has it, and I hate to say it, but ours does as well, so, um, but it is a different tone, and then even as you break that further down, if you talk to an Apache guy versus a Chinook guy versus a Blackhawk guy, there's a different sort of tone with those guys as well, um. But but what I enjoy is the fact that we do have kind of all those walks of life in our community, and and we really don't have any of those those measuring contests. Uh, edit myself on that. But um, what another thing is interesting, Baron. I don't know if you know this. Maybe you do, but. Uh, I was talking to, to Kelly the other day about this, because Kelly, you've only been playing DCS for like a month and a half,
3: something like that, right? Yeah, I came in like, a, you know, I've, I've always seen it, but until I really sure. got to VR, it was about a month and a half, yeah. Yeah. And strictly and so, KA50, really.
0: Right. And so, Barrett, what I thought was interesting uh, is that he said he watched... a a video on on my channel Casmo tv please check it out hit subscribe uh (laughs) shameless (laughs) shameless plug but that's that's really what i do um but but he was watching one of the videos where you and i and and probably justin and, and some other people were on the server and we were you know we were having fun but doing something cooperatively and he said man i I want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to see what these guys are all about and, and join. And so that's, and, and which then directly leads to this, you know, this thing that, that you and I had talked about Barrett for, for doing for a while and we could never really kind of wrap our head around it. Well, here comes Kelly and he has experience doing this stuff. So it's kind of open these opportunities, but, but I think that's a good kind of uh, example of, the server just being its own little thing and it's fun but it, it does build community so i'm thankful for that and i'm thankful for all of you guys who've, who've contributed to that to make it what it is agreed and and with that statement you're welcome yeah
1: it, with that <laughs> statement you would be receiving uh, a bunch of ridicule and catcalls for polishing somebody's knob uh in, in, a, in a ready room environment so <laughs> well absolutely and that and that's
0: the other side of it uh, that I, I was thinking about earlier you know I, I had a lot more jokes to make at your expense Baron tonight but it just didn't really come <laughs> up but 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 that's part of being a pilot right and that's part of you know as we look at this show and the format of what we're trying to do here it isn't about video games it's not about Dcs it's really just about the community of aviation and part of the community of aviation is 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 throwing shade and, and talking trash to people albeit in a fun and 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 good-natured way but but you got to be able to take it um i, I th- and i think that's true across all of the branches of military and and even to some extent even in general aviation i remember when i soloed uh in a cessna and and the instructor pilot brought out a pair of scissors and cut my shirt up you know um which luckily he warned me he was going to do that before i soloed, so i could bring a shirt i didn't mind getting cut up but, cut <laughs> but that's just kind of part of the community yeah i get the tail cut which i'd never heard of by the way but yeah, um
3: civilian stuff
0: yeah but but it's cool <laughs> you know and that's and that goes back to that discussion about community and um and, and, but yeah absolutely as a military pilot that is if you can't take a joke get and, out. and there's a funny way of of saying it's you know Take a joke. It's it's not hard, but uh, um, but yeah. If you if <laughs> I think you know <laughs> what I'm saying, but uh, if you can't do that, you're probably in the lo- the wrong line of work. So, okay. Well, uh, let's kind of circling back to the A10, and that'll kind of lead us to our topic topic du jour, if you will. So the A10 A10 C2. I always say that wrong unless I say it very purposefully. Uh, did come with a slew of of new things, but one of the things that came with is the APKWS the advanced precision kill weapon system uh otherwise known as a laser guided rocket and uh baron you actually were kind of on the ground floor of this in in a, a previous assignment and and helped make this a reality for the army uh, i guess what the navy had it before us and we kind of we kind of brought it over or something like that
1: yeah, so I wouldn't say I was on the ground floor because this goes way back to the yeah. Mid-90s. I was gonna say that's true. Yeah, um, but that is the nature of large developmental projects and wep- you know weapons development. But um, yeah, I was uh, I was part of the team that brought it to fielding within the army. Um, correct. So so. <laughs> The way most weapons and most systems in the military are developed are by, first of all, identifying a gap, in other words, a capability that you need, and then a system or a resource or a material that meets that capability need. And if you don't have something to fill that gap, in quotes, you need to develop it, buy it, field it. Um, So in the mid-90s, there was a an identified gap in between larger weapon system. And I use that term relatively because a hellfire is the smallest precision weapons, precision missile in the department of the U S department of defense inventory and something that's unguided. So when you look at, uh, where, where we are today, where we're kind of shooting expensive, what we call silver bullets, um, and Hellfire developed as a weapon system exclusively to kill tanks. So that was its sole purpose in life, was to penetrate armor. Uh, that It has become the one-size-fits-all weapon system to kill anything and everything on the battlefield. From the And this may be a little gruesome to some people. I'm, I'm guessing that for most DCS players, they're going to be fairly accepting of this viewpoint. But putting, putting a warhead on a forehead of a single individual... And placing an IED on the side of the road, uh, to all the way up to major weapon systems like a main battle tank, uh, the Hellfire is a solution that that speaks to all those capability needs. Well, using a eighty to hundred thousand dollar weapon system to kill one guy, you know, arguably is not an efficient use of resources. So, all the way back in the nineties uh a requirements need was um surfaced that hey we need we need a small precision weapon that can bridge the gap between an unguided munition um and 30 millimeter which is relatively uh limited in range to the hellfire which can reach out to eight plus k's um but is really overmatched for a lot of the target sets that the rocket would would be intended for so Uh, the requirement was written to come up with a means to take a unguided rocket the hydra and make it a guided or precision solution the army worked on it for 10 plus years uh, and in the late aughts as uh, things were starting to really come to fruition budgets really dried up that was the as everybody knows the era of the financial crisis and budgets dried up and the US government entered what's called sequestration and the first uh, the first victim of sequestration is developmental or future projects plus we're in the middle of a long-term war at that point the middle of the surge in Iraq and the upswing of things in Afghanistan so most of the money in military budgets was was just going to sustain the existing force not necessarily to develop new weapon systems. So the Army decided, hey we can't afford this weapon anymore and it was um, eliminated as a program, as a developmental program in the Army. Well the Navy turned around and said, hey well we still have a requirement for this so we will pick up that program and basically picked it up where the Army left it off and continued development. Um, And there's there's a lot of backstory of course and things like that but Ultimately, um, what resulted is that the APKWS, which is so a, advanced precision kill weapon system was a term applied to the requirement need, not necessarily to the the object or the weapon right. system that was developed. Yeah, That's conceptual. Yeah, it's a concept, right? But uh, BAE, the maker of the what is now currently known as the APKWS2, recognized that there is a marketing value in using that concept term and so they called their solution the APKWS and so that now now that is known the APKWS is the thing that BAE developed there's also there were there were other contenders Lockheed Martin had a contender uh, Raytheon had a contender all were various flavors of a guidance package that was put on a hydro rocket. Um, ultimately, APKWS, the BAE solution was the one that came out on top, and that's what we have today. And so okay. in 2014 time frame, there was a couple units downrange that uh, continued to voice a need for that kind of capability, and the Army sort of um, revalidated the interest and need for the capability and uh, I was part of the team that kind of investigated that capability need and then uh, we bought some of the the guidance packages from the Navy and put them through a test and decided yeah this meets our capability gap so let's push forward. So, and so it's
0: interesting to me that you talk about uh, how long ago this was identified as a need because you know, I even remember going through flight school in early 2000s of of hearing about a laser guided rocket, you know, and it was like anything else. It was like, oh, you know, in the next couple of years you're gonna have this thing, you know this was two thousand three you know um, but but when we talk about need, you know I uh, you and I both know what it's like to to exactly that shoot a very expensive, uh, what is initially an anti-tank missile at you know t- two guys on the side of the road you know putting in an id or something you know when you look at it from a from a dollar standpoint it, it doesn't make a lot of sense of course you know saving lives you know civilians friendlies that that id you know that's that's a different conversation but but just from a financial standpoint that's a lot of money to throw at something but but that was a at least, I guess I'm looking at it in a, a very new sort of concern that in the 1990s wasn't really a conversation. So I'm wondering what was driving the need to have a laser-guided rocket back in the 90s.
1: I part of it was Comanche, so they're looking at stowed kills. So that's the that's the um, non-financial portion of it. So when right. when you take something like Comanche that I'm struggling to remember now, but I believe it had it had the capability to carry up to 12 hellfires on its internal base At a maximum um, you would have to trade really that of, many Yeah, you would have to trade some of those hellfires if you wanted to carry anything else such as two rocket pods, etc So the number right. went from uh, a hellfire pure loadout um, Down to you know six hellfires and two rocket pods or, or whatever, right? Because so, from a
0: weight standpoint, I mean, a rocket. What does what an
1: APKWS rocket weigh? Probably thirty-four, forty
0: pounds. pounds. Thirty-four pounds. How, okay, thirty-four pounds. Whereas a Hellfire weighs about hundred pounds, depending yep. on the variant, right, right around hundred. So, so you're getting a, tr- a trade-off there, and be, again, depending on the type of target that you're going to shoot at, uh, it's certainly cost-effective in a lot of different ways, not just the the cost, but but the weight on the aircraft. Um, yeah. Okay.
1: Well, if you have a seven-shot rocket pod, for instance, and you have right. seven, um, we'll call it relatively inexpensive precision-stowed kills, right. um, depending on the target set, uh, yep. you've just increased your capability, so to speak. Um, right. So there's, there's a financial cost, cost curve there, but there's also a mission lethality curve, so to speak. So when you're talking about seven unguided rockets— um, the Army has some figures for the destruction capability of each weapon system that it has. And if you're looking at unguided folding fin aerial rocket system uh, with a 10-pound warhead, uh, it would... I, so we'll go unclass here, but the numbers are yeah. somewhere on the order of dozens of rockets to achieve right. a mission or capability kill on certain platforms. Whereas you could turn right. that into one... Stowed kill. So there, there's right. your trade-off right there. It's a lethal, at, lethality perspective,
0: and that's a different conversation too. Because you, you you bring up a good point that a lot of people, particularly people not you know in the business, if you will, uh, look at weapon systems solely from a standpoint of can it, what can it kill, and how many rounds do I have to shoot at it. But you know when we talk about rockets, it's an area effect weapon. Uh, it's not designed. You know, you're not necessarily designed to tip in on a tank or a BMP with rockets, you know, that's not really the weapon of choice in that situation. And, and those, that same calculus has been done, you know, unclassed with artillery, where, you know, I think I think the numbers for artillery is, you know, a uh, hundred rounds to, yeah. to kill a tank, you know. And, and again, it's not that you wouldn't shoot artillery at a tank in the sense that I want to kill that one tank, so let me shoot a bunch of artillery at it. So what is the effect that you're trying to achieve? But what you've taken is a, a system that is essentially aerial artillery, Um and and turned it into okay. Now it is a precision weapon, albeit it's not going to penetrate tank armor. But but it also kind of opens the door for future technology where we do have a rocket that can penetrate you know tank tank armor, um, which which I don't think would be hard to develop. I mean I think we have the technology. It's just just the will and the the cash to to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what so here's a quick question. I've always wondered this: What constitutes something being a rocket versus a missile? And why would the laser-guided rocket not be considered a missile?
1: So a missile is guided. A rocket is not. Um, so what is APKWS? So I think, technically speaking, it's a missile. Yeah. But because it's, it, it's truly a Frankenstein. So you're, you are taking an unguided munition and strapping another component to it to make it have a capability it was never, ever intended to have um and it is really throwing a lot of money at something to to make an unguided solution into a guided solution it is it is a uh and and this may be fairly controversial but it is throwing a lot of money to make a stopgap version of something to increase stowed kills until we get something better Um, okay yeah but the the technical solution that BAE came up with is really very elegant and very capable. Um, Yeah, yeah, and with your comment about what what Hydra and the rocket was intended to be, I mean, you're going back decades. So back in Vietnam, rockets were never intended to be a point weapon system. They were designed to be, just like you said, an aerial fire support weapon system where you saturate, we call it a grid square, with dozens of rockets no different than a fire for effect mission from 105 right. millimeter howitzer
0: yeah because if you look at old pictures of vietnam you'll find you know that huey with uh, you know i don't even know how many pot you know uh, uh tubes on it but this big square thing hanging off the side full of rockets and exactly that it's show up you know dump a bunch of rockets into this area suppress it and then and then leave yeah um Whereas, you know, our experience has been almost, I always like to tell people, I like to savor my rockets. You know, I I don't try to shoot more than two, maybe three on a run because I've only got a few and I'm trying to make them as precise as possible. Whereas now you have the system and and having been uh, deployed and seeing that thing in action, um, I I can tell you it is absolutely precise. Um, I I will just say that man-sized targets are not safe from that weapon system it's and it and it is impressive when (laughs) when man and apkws collide it is uh it is an interesting show yeah
1: and when you think about how bae tackled that problem because when you look at the unguided rocket just like a rifle it's spin stabilized so when it's leaving the tube um it has both fluted rocket nozzles and fins that impart uh a spin to it almost instantaneously. In fact, it's spinning before it leaves the tube because of the way Mm. the rocket exhaust comes out of the back of it. So what the APKWS APKWS has to do is de-spin the rocket and Mm. turn it into essentially an airplane uh, so that it can guide because something that's spinning can't guide. Um, So they had to technically figure that out. And, oh, by the way uh it has to do that with no moving parts and well except for the for the uh airfoil surfaces on the yeah on the on the fins that come out of the guidance section but it it's quite a technical achievement that they've done all to make a thousand dollar rocket uh into a a, i'll just say orders of magnitude more expensive <laughs> um cheaper guided, than a hellfire yeah cheaper than a hellfire <laughs> but uh basically it's the same kill capability except you can hit the target that you were intending to hit rather than um you know having everything to else. shoot seven or eight of them <laughs> everything yeah. else yeah yeah and and, and and learning the tricks right so i'm going to
0: shoot short of the target because at least if I miss it's going to explode and the 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 shrapnel and explosion is going to go forward because of momentum so you know you're trying to figure out all these ways but here it's just a simple um, I'm I'm lazing the target and I'm going to shoot that That's right. um let's talk about so the design of it is pretty interesting uh, I remember the first time I saw one I, I guess I never really thought about it but so it's actually just take a rocket which uh, has the the um, the warhead on the front with the the fuse, you know, sticking out of the tip, uh, then the warhead, and then the back end is is the rocket, you know, the propellant, um, you know, basically like the the space shuttle, you know, solid rocket booster type looking thing, and then the little fins pop out of the back, which which help it with the the spinning, and and so what we've done with this new design is the the guidance system fits in. It just bolt, what, what is it, screw in? How does how does it attach? But it goes between the warhead and propulsion.
1: Yeah, that's right. So each each and every Hydra. So let first of all, let's term let's term it a family of rocket capabilities. So the Hydra rocket system, the motors are all common to each of the different warhead combinations you can put on it. It's the Mark 66 motor. It has the same thrust, same weight, everything the motor is the same for all the different variants of the Hydra. But the Hydra system has illumination rockets, it has payload rockets such as um well, that's the illumination rocket and the also the flechette um and the, in the back in the day we used to have something called mpsm multi-purpose submunition oh yeah which was a had nine little cluster munitions within the payload um so all those different warheads and then those have to be paired with the appropriate fuse too so when you have an he warhead typically you pair it with a point detonating fuse so that it blows up as soon as it hits something hard enough to, to crush the fuse or it has a timed warhead where there's a penetration capability um, so that it gets through let's say a bunker or you know some sort of structure so you can get the warhead inside the structure so that it has the most effect um, and then you have just time delay fuses such as when you're firing an illum- illumination rocket it just it just deploys that flare after X amount of seconds. Um, so you fire it up in the air and the flare comes out later. So that's what the Hydra family of rockets is. So what APKWS does is you unscrew the warhead section and you basically, in between the warhead and the motor, you take a, I want to say it's 13 inches, maybe 16 inches. It's a guidance section where all the electronics, all the functional components that turn that unguided rocket into a guided missile, um, you screw that onto the motor and then you screw the warhead back on. So it's just a a component that fits in between the classic warhead section and motor section of the normal unguided rocket. And it's it's that section that you screw in that makes APKWS what it is. Uh, and so the army really has only fielded the point detonating high explosive warhead fuse combination so the capability of that particular rocket to kill something is about this is the same as the unguided version other than that APKWS rocket will hit what you're shooting at or what you're lasing right. I should say so you can use one, whereas you would have to, like you said, you'd like to be sparing with your rockets. Well, for instance, in KW, you only had seven, right? So your first right. rocket is always that ranging round. like, okay, where's yeah. that one going? Right. Okay, it hit there, so that one's my adjustment round. So you make your second shot to where you adjust off that where that first one went, and then you check your aim with your second one. If the second one is on, then you can go, you know, shoot your third, fourth, or fifth rocket, or like you said, maybe you want to make two or more passes. You only got one or two rockets that you could effectively put off that first adjustment round. Come around and do another run. Well, in KW, you really only have seven rockets. Uh, in Apache, of course, you typically could have nineteen or maybe thirty-eight. Um, but your first your first rockets are always they're kind of throwaways because you're not yeah they're wasted yeah you're not going to hit what you we're aiming at. You're going to have to make an adjustment off that first round. So yeah. when you only have seven, that doesn't give you a lot of adjustment rounds.
0: Now I will tell you this, Baron. The very first rocket I ever shot in flight school hit the target. <laughs> and 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 I tell this story because, you know, growing up or you know in flight school, hearing about how challenging rockets were or you know the fact that you don't hit stuff. I, I hit the target. The instructor looks at me. And 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 I just shoot the one, you know. I'm like, okay, I hit the target. And he's like, let's do that again. So we turn around, and I'm, you know, I'm feeling very cocky at this point, you know, like, oh, I got this in the bag. Second, you know, second pass, come in, one rocket, way off. So yeah, so yeah, so the, that was the luck of the draw. But but yeah, absolutely, the first rocket is generally speaking not going to hit the first time, and the second one's probably not going to hit, but it's going to get closer. And now we've we've eliminated all that. And again, we've just turned an area effect weapon into a
2: into a a precision one. Um, Justin, did you have something? Yeah, yeah. So, I'll, I'll question is from the from the DCS player's point of view, since that's that's my background. Um, with regards to sort of the player that wants to sort of introduce some realism into this, and I guess we'll talk about the A ten, but also the, the Kiowa, since it's coming. Would it be what would be the sort of realistic loadout? Would you would you take two pods of seven that the Kiowa can carry, or would you you mix mix your rounds up, or would you indeed even mix the pod up?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, and it's hard, you know, I I would say from a A-10 standpoint, and I'm not a A-10 guy, but I was actually listening to uh, uh, an A-10 guy talk today on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, and and they talked about rocket loads. And um, I think for those guys, you know, and I don't want to speak for them, but I think in their case, they're probably going to carry a mix just because they have so much capability to do that. Um, in a Kiowa, you know, we... You could separate the pods, right? So you could have, uh, what was it, Baron? In the in the seven-shot pod, you have two zones. Yep, Alpha and a Bravo zone. Alpha had right. four
1: rockets. Bravo had three.
0: And then for the uh, the larger, the 19-shot pods, you had three zones. So, but yeah, I th- I think you know, uh, just my uneducated opinion on it that, that for for the average DCS player, you probably would have a mix. And I and I think in the mission editor, um, you can't mix per Pod is that right? Does that sound right?
3: Yeah. How would you select it? How would you know? I mean, well, so you'd actually have to shoot through your first three or four to get to the one you really want. to Well, get no, no, to, no, you no. Know? So
0: those, so those zones are selectable from inside the cockpit. Um, I don't those think that's zones modeled. of your
3: pod, the zones right. of your actual yes. pod. Yep,
0: yep. Oh, so cool. yeah, cool. exactly. So the seven shot pod, like like Baron said, has the Alpha and Bravo zone, and then you had the the Alpha Bravo. Charlie and and, but I think there was another kind of weirdness in the Apache where you could actually kind of eke out four zones
1: based on how many pods you had. In the Apache, if you have um, four pods installed, you get an additional zone. So right with because it's looking at the inner pylon, outer pylon. Exactly. So with yeah, with with one or two pods in the Apache, you get three zones: Alpha, Bravo, and Echo, and then. Uh, I think if you put four pods on, I don't remember the exact combinations, but you get an yeah. additional zone when you go to more than two no one pods in the it. Apache. Right. I mean, no, no, we no can't do that in DCS.
3: On.
0: Right. And that's what I think. Yeah. And though I think, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, I feel like uh, Polychop was talking about trying to crack the code on that. I could be yeah, wrong about no, that. No, so but...
1: Polychop will have selectable zones in the KW. Okay. So, okay. yeah, so you can you can tailor your loadout as you want it in the KW. The Apache. So going back to real life the apache does it differently the apache doesn't know zones it just knows what types of rock you have to select the type of rocket you want to shoot right so where in kw you select the zone you want to shoot in apache you select the type of rocket you want to shoot
0: yeah and it just knows that's the thing the apache knows what it has on board the kiowa doesn't so for instance the the seven shot pod will shoot in a particular order right and i don't remember which tube shoots first it was some weird well it just sequence. goes backwards
1: so 765432 yeah. oh one.
0: is it backwards but it yeah. but it kind of bounces from if you were to have all zone selected it does alpha zone first then bravo Al- yeah if, so if alpha zone is, seven, six, five, four, five. Yep. zone is
1: 765 and 4 and bravo zone is 321
0: right and and even that as you look at the pod it's like 321 is like the the right side the left side the center or something like that but but my point is the K- the kw didn't know what it had on board so if you put 6 rockets in the pod, but you left the the number 7 tube empty, um when you go to push fire nothing's going to happen because it's sending that impulse to that tube. Yeah. Or if you had a bad rocket, nothing would come out. You wouldn't know if it was a bad rocket other than the fact that it didn't come out, but it could be it could be the pod is bad. Um it could just be something wrong with the system itself. The rocket itself. may not
1: be seated correctly and it's not getting the right. impulse to the motor. But yeah. you have to step through that tube with right. a firing impulse for it to go to the next one. And if
0: you, let's say, you turned off power to that system and turned it back on and reset it, and let's say before that you'd already fired four rockets, well, in order to get to the next rocket you want to shoot, you're going to have to push the fire button a couple times. You're going to have to push it four times to get through those empty tubes because you've already shot those rounds.
1: Yeah, and that was always a fight we'd have with uh, with newbie pilots. Where you'd be out on a gunnery or something, you know, training, and you'd shoot, let's say, four rockets. And then you'd tell tell your co-pilot, okay, safe the master arm. And they take it all the way to off. Well, right. guess what? You just reset <laughs> the rocket system. So the next time you turn it back to arm, it's got to start back over to seven. So yeah. that means the pilot would then have to with four empty tubes, he would have to press four times for the rockets that you already shot that now have nothing in, the, in those seven, six, five, and four tubes to get to three, two, one, to fire the remaining rockets. Um, it wasn't a smart system. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And I, and I think, Justin, though, you bring up a, an interesting question because as the Kiowa comes into the DCS world, people are gonna ask that question. Okay, well, what is a realistic load? The, the answer is we don't know because uh, you know the Kiowa left service Before we fielded these things, and I will tell you, even when we fielded them, it wasn't in large quantities at all. Um, When I was deployed uh, about two, two and a half years ago, we had some and it was a very small number. And they were only used in Syria, because that's where we felt that we were going to be using them the most. Uh, It was an incredibly small number. but But I think... If you look at uh, a sort of high-intensity conflict situation, which I think the DCS world is really leaning itself towards, you know, I, I think it's realistic to have a Kiowa that's probably armed with with one or two Hellfires and a rocket pod with a zone of APKWs and a zone of say some sort of marking rocket. Honestly, that, that's what I would think.
1: Yeah, and in in a non-resource-constrained game world, yeah. yeah, where you're not worried about how many munitions are available in, we call it the ammunition supply point. Like what can be supplied to your your unit as you shoot them up? Because there's only a, the logistics behind getting munitions into a theater are a real problem. Right. But let's say in DCS, if it was me and I had APKWS, I'd take seven every time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know from a mission builder's point of view, I can
2: uh, interrupt the, uh, supply chain and and limit those things but uh we got to keep it
1: fun as well
0: yeah and then for the a10 i mean i guess i've seen guys just flying around with like
1: 400 of them on so i suppose it's kind of like um i'm not a fixed wing guy but i hear you know folks on pvp servers you know they come out with in a viper with 10 amrams or something like that would never happen in real life yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely
0: yeah, I, I was talking, I I, I think it was kind of in open air, we were talking on the uh, on the Discord with uh, Chicken, who uh, is a uh, Marine UA, UAS guy, uh, and has some experience with these as well. And I, I think the way he described it too is, it's not so much that you can't do it, it's, I guess the way I interpreted what he was saying is, is, you want to make sure you catch it. Because the Hellfire is, as you said, it's designed to look for it. It has the capability to look around, and again, we'll go into that later at another time. But it has the ability to look around and find that laser spot. Whereas this, with the rocket, you know, you've got a very narrow window where, if you're not squirting the laser, you know, you can probably still catch it. But you you don't want to put yourself in that situation because you want to make sure that as soon as it comes out, it's got something to hone in on. To because the 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 flight characteristics are very different. Yeah.
1: The the unique thing about APKWS is it's a completely new technology. So its ability, without any moving parts in the sensor in the laser receiver, it has a very, very wide aperture, so to speak. So if there's a laser out there in front of the helicopter, I'll I'll leave it as broad as that. It's gonna see that laser as long as the as long right. as the signal strength is high enough that that sensor can resolve it, it's gonna see it. Whereas Hellfire, but I guess it. Um, Yeah, whereas Hellfire is a little bit different is its aperture is very, very narrow, but the way it overcomes that is it actually moves that aperture. So you have a you have a gimbaled seeker in the nose of the Hellfire that's actually scanning, that's looking for that laser spot. So I'm just going to use arbitrary numbers here, but let's say the aperture in the Hellfire is 10 degrees. Um, If you were in a not in a non-moving mode, right? So if it was staring, it could only see a 10 degree wide um aperture you overcome that by then putting that sensor on a gimbal and it moves it out to again just making up numbers a 30 degree wide aperture apkws sees more than 30 degrees all the time so that's the nice thing about apkws is you have a very wide uh see the laser window but because it's a the motor on a on a rocket burns for a split second and once that motor's burned out that's all the kinetic energy you're going to get so the further off axis you are the more energy it has to use up in turning to get back to the target and uh, that's going to decrease its range
0: yeah because i guess the other function it, it it maybe it's not a matter of the rocket can't see it it's the ability of the rocket to do anything about it exactly uh yeah okay well, that's a good way of looking at it okay yeah all right. All right. Well, listen, I uh, appreciate the, the time and uh, excellent explanation. You know, I, I think it's an incredible system um, that as we go forward, you know, it, it's only going to build upon itself. And, you know, e- even the Hellfire, which, again, we'll talk about, has seen such a dramatic change in its life cycle since, since uh, definitely since I started flying. And I think for, for you as well uh so so this type of technology and this type of capability is definitely going to expand over time so it was interesting to hear about so i appreciate you sharing that with us and uh i want to thank everyone else for uh for participating and everyone at home for listening uh you know i had a great time uh i appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day uh whether it be night or morning to, to talk about this and of course for our listeners so i hope you guys enjoyed it as well you know uh if you have any questions or comments uh we are going to have a, a website available. Uh, it is the, the Low Level Hell Podcast at gmail.com. So send us a question, send us a comment, and we'll try to get those on. And if you have any other topics that you'd like to see us address, uh, please send it to us. Uh, views expressed by the cast and the guests do not represent the Department of Defense or any private business. Uh, we appreciate your time and listening to us, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for stopping by the Low Level Hell Podcast. Take care.